Book two, chapter fourteen of Michael Strogoff by Jules Verne. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Chapter fourteen The Night of the Fifth of October. Ivan Ogaryev's plan had been contrived with the greatest care, and except for some unforeseen accident, he believed that it must succeed. It was of importance that the Bolchaya Gate should be unguarded or only feebly held when he gave it up. The attention of the besieged was therefore to be drawn to another part of the town. A diversion was agreed upon with the emir. This diversion was to be effected both up and down the river on the Irkutsk bank. The attack on these two points was to be conducted in earnest, and at the same time a feint attempt at crossing the Angara from the left bank was to be made the bolchaya gate would be probably deserted so much the more because on this side the tartar outposts having drawn back would appear to have broken up it was the fifth of october in four-and-twenty hours the capital of eastern siberia would be in the hands of the emir and the grand duke in the power of ivan ogaryev during the day an unusual stir was going on in the angara camp from the windows of the palace important preparations on the opposite shore could be distinctly seen numerous tartar detachments were converging towards the camp and from hour to hour reinforced the emir's troops these movements intended to deceive the besieged were conducted in the most open manner possible before their eyes ogaryev had warned the grand duke that an attack was to be feared he knew he said that an assault was to be made both above and below the town and he counselled the duke to reinforce the two directly threatened points accordingly after a council of war had been held in the palace orders were issued to concentrate the defence on the bank of the angara and at the two ends of the town where the earthworks protected the river this was exactly what ogaryev wished he did not expect that the bolchaya gate would be left entirely without defenders but that there would be only a small number besides ogaryev meant to give such importance to the diversion that the grand duke would be obliged to oppose it with all his available forces the traitor planned also to produce so frightful a catastrophe that terror must inevitably overwhelm the hearts of the besieged all day the garrison and population of irkutsk were on the alert the measures to repel an attack on the points hitherto unassailed had been taken the grand duke and general voranzov visited the posts strengthened by their orders vasily fedor's corps occupied the north of the town but with orders to throw themselves where the danger was greatest the right bank of the angara had been protected with the few guns possessed by the defenders with these measures taken in time thanks to the advice so opportunely given by ivan ogaryev there was good reason to hope that the expected attack would be repulsed in that case the tartars momentarily discouraged would no doubt not make another attempt against the town for several days now the troops expected by the grand duke might arrive at any hour the safety or the loss of irkutsk hung only by a thread on this day the sun which had risen at twenty minutes to six set at forty minutes past five having traced its diurnal arc for eleven hours above the horizon the twilight would struggle with the night for another two hours then it would be intensely dark for the sky was cloudy and there would be no moon this gloom would favour the plans of ivan ogaryev for a few days already a sharp frost had given warning of the approaching rigour of the siberian winter and this evening it was especially severe 
the russians posted by the bank of the angara obliged to conceal their position lighted no fires they suffered cruelly from the low temperature a few feet below them the ice in large masses drifted down the current all day these masses had been seen passing rapidly between the two banks this had been considered by the grand duke and his officers as fortunate should the channel of the angara continue to be thus obstructed the passage must be impracticable the tartars could use neither rafts nor boats as to their crossing the river on the ice this was not possible the newly frozen plain could not bear the weight of the assaulting column this circumstance as it appeared favourable to the defenders of irkutsk ogaryev might have regretted he did not do so however the traitor knew well that the tartars would not try to pass the angara and that on its side at least their attempt was only a feint about ten in the evening the state of the river sensibly improved to the great surprise of the besieged and still more to their disadvantage the passage till then impracticable became all at once possible the bed of the angara was clear the blocks of ice which had for some days drifted past in large numbers disappeared down the current and five or six only now occupied the space between the banks the russian officers reported this change in the river to the grand duke they suggested that it was probably caused by the circumstance that in some narrower part of the angara the blocks had accumulated so as to form a barrier we know this was the case the passage of the angara was thus open to the besiegers there was great reason for the russians to be on their guard up to midnight nothing had occurred on the eastern side beyond the bolchaya gate all was quiet not a glimmer was seen in the dense forest which appeared confounded on the horizon with the masses of clouds hanging low down in the sky lights flitting to and fro in the angara camp showed that a considerable movement was taking place from a verst above and below the point where the scarp met the river's bank came a dull murmur proving that the tartars were on foot expecting some signal an hour passed nothing new the bell of the irkutsk cathedral was about to strike two o'clock in the morning and not a movement amongst the besiegers had yet shown that they were about to commence the assault the grand duke and his officers began to suspect that they had been mistaken had it really been the tartars plan to surprise the town the preceding nights had not been nearly so quiet musketry rattling from the outposts shells whistling through the air and this time nothing the officers waited ready to give their orders according to circumstances we have said that ogaryev occupied a room in the palace it was a large chamber on the ground floor its windows opening on a side terrace by taking a few steps along this terrace the view of the river could be obtained profound darkness reigned in the room ogaryev stood by a window awaiting the hour to act the signal of course could come from him alone this signal once given when the greater part of the defenders of irkutsk would be summoned to the points openly attacked his plan was to leave the palace and hurry to the bolchaya gate if it was unguarded he would open it or at least he would direct the overwhelming mass of its assailants against the few defenders he now crouched in the shadow like a wild beast ready to spring on its prey a few minutes before two o'clock the grand duke desired that michael strogoff which was the only name they could give to ivan ogaryev should be brought to him an aide-de-camp came to the room the door of which was closed he called ogaryev motionless near the window and invisible in the shade did not answer 
the grand duke was therefore informed that the tsar's courier was not at that moment in the palace two o'clock struck now was the time to cause the diversion agreed upon with the tartars waiting for the assault ivan ogaryev opened the window and stationed himself at the north angle of the side terrace below him flowed the roaring waters of the angara ogaryev took a match from his pocket struck it and lighted a small bunch of tow impregnated with priming powder which he threw into the river it was by the orders of ivan ogaryev that the torrents of mineral oil had been thrown on the surface of the angara there are numerous naphtha springs above irkutsk on the right bank between the suburb of poshkavsk and the town ogaryev had resolved to employ this terrible means to carry fire into irkutsk he therefore took possession of this immense reservoir which contained the combustible liquid it was only necessary to demolish a piece of wall in order to allow it to flow out in a vast stream this had been done that night a few hours previously and this was the reason that the raft which carried the true courier of the tsar nadia and the fugitives floated on a current of mineral oil through the breaches in these reservoirs of enormous dimensions rushed the naphtha in torrents and flowing the inclination of the ground it spread over the surface of the river where its density allowed it to float this was the way ivan ogaryev carried on warfare allied with tartars he acted like a tartar and against his own countrymen the tow had been thrown on the waters of the angara in an instant with electrical rapidity as if the current had been of alcohol the whole river was in a blaze above and below the town columns of blue flames ran between the two banks volumes of vapour curled up above the few pieces of ice which still drifted were seized by the burning liquid and melted like wax on the top of a furnace the evaporated water escaping in shrill hisses at the same moment firing broke out on the north and south of the town the enemy's batteries discharged their guns at random several thousand tartars rushed to the assault of the earthworks the houses on the bank built of wood took fire in every direction a bright light dissipated the darkness of the night at last said ivan ogaryev he had good reason for congratulating himself the diversion which he had planned was terrible the defenders of irkutsk found themselves between the attack of the tartars and the fearful effects of fire the bells rang and all the able-bodied of the population ran some towards the points attacked and others towards the houses in the grasp of the flames which it seemed too probable would ere long envelop the whole town the gate of bolchaya was nearly free only a very small guard had been left there and by the traitor's suggestion and in order that the event might be explained apart from him as if by political hate this small guard had been chosen from the little band of exiles ogaryev re-entered his room now brilliantly lighted by the flames from the angara then he made ready to go out but scarcely had he opened the door when a woman rushed into the room her clothes drenched her hair in disorder Sankar exclaimed ogaryev in the first moment of surprise and not supposing that it could be any other woman than the gypsy it was not sangare it was nadia at the moment when floating on the ice the girl had uttered a cry on seeing the fire spreading along the current michael had seized her in his arms and plunged with her into the river itself to seek a refuge in its depths from the flames the block which bore them was not thirty fathoms from the first key of irkutsk swimming beneath the water michael managed to get a footing with nadia on the key 
Michael Strogoff had reached his journey's end. He was in Irkutsk. To the governor's palace, said he to Nadia. In less than ten minutes they arrived at the entrance to the palace. Long tongues of flame from the Angara licked its walls, but were powerless to set it on fire. Beyond, the houses on the bank were in a blaze. The palace being open to all, Michael and Nadia entered without difficulty. In the confusion no one remarked them, although their garments were dripping. A crowd of officers coming for orders, and of soldiers running to execute them, filled the great hall on the ground floor. There, in a sudden eddy of the confused multitude, Michael and the young girl were separated from each other. Nadia ran distracted through the passages, calling her companion, and asking to be taken to the Grand Duke. A door into a room flooded with light opened before her. She entered and found herself suddenly face to face with the man whom she had met at Ichim, whom she had seen at Tomsk, face to face with the one whose villainous hand would an instant later betray the town. Even Ogareff! she cried. On hearing his name pronounced, the wretch started. His real name known, all his plans would be balked. There was but one thing to be done, to kill the person who had just uttered it. Ogaryev darted at Nadia, but the girl, a knife in her hand, retreated against the wall, determined to defend herself. Even Ogareff! Again cried Nadia, knowing well that so detested a name would soon bring her help. Ah, be silent! hissed out the traitor between his clenched teeth. Even Ogareff! exclaimed a third time the brave young girl, in a voice to which hate had added tenfold strength. Mad with fury, Ogaryev, drawing a dagger from his belt, again rushed at Nadia and compelled her to retreat into a corner of the room. Her last hope appeared gone, when the villain, suddenly lifted by an irresistible force, was dashed to the ground. "'Michael!' cried Nadia. It was Michael Strogoff. Michael had heard Nadia's call. Guided by her voice, he had just in time reached Ivan Ogaryev's room and entered by the open door. "'Fear nothing, Nadia,' said he, placing himself between her and Ogaryev. "'Ah!' cried the girl. "'Take care, brother. The traitor is armed. He can see!' Ogaryev rose, and, thinking he had an immeasurable advantage over the blind man, leaped upon him. But with one hand the blind man grasped the arm of the enemy, seized his weapon, and hurled him again to the ground. Pale with rage and shame, Ogaryev remembered that he wore a sword. He drew it and returned a second time to the charge. A blind man! Ogaryev had only to deal with a blind man. He was more than a match for him. Nadia, terrified at the danger which threatened her companion, ran to the door calling for help. Close the door, Nadia, said Michael. Call no one, and leave me alone. The Tsar's courier has nothing to fear today from this villain. Let him come on, if he dares. I'm ready for him. In the meantime, Ogaryev, gathering himself together like a tiger about to spring, uttered not a word. The noise of his footsteps, his very breathing, he endeavored to conceal from the ear of the blind man. His object was to strike before his opponent was aware of his approach, to strike him with a deadly blow. Nadia, terrified and at the same time confident, watched this terrible scene with involuntary admiration. Michael's calm bearing seemed to have inspired her. Michael's sole weapon was his Siberian knife. He did not see his adversary armed with a sword, it is true, but heaven's support seemed to be afforded him. How, almost without staring, did he always face the point of the sword? Ivan Ogaryev watched his strange adversary with visible anxiety. His superhuman calm had an effect upon him. 
in vain appealing to his reason did he tell himself that in so unequal a combat all the advantages were on his side the immobility of the blind man froze him he had settled on the place where he would strike his victim he had fixed upon it what then hindered him from putting an end to his blind antagonist at last with a spring he drove his sword full at michael's breast an imperceptible movement of the blind man's knife turned aside the blow michael had not been touched and coolly he awaited a second attack cold drops stood on ogaryev's brow he drew back a step then again leaped forward but as had the first this second attempt failed the knife had simply parried the blow from the traitor's useless sword mad with rage and terror before this living statue he gazed into the wide-open eyes of the blind man those eyes which seemed to pierce to the bottom of his soul and yet which did not could not see exercised a sort of dreadful fascination over him all at once ogaryev uttered a cry a sudden light flashed across his brain this is he exclaimed this is and like a wild beast trying to retreat into its den step by step terrified he drew back to the end of the room then the statue became animated the blind man walked straight up to ivan ogaryev and placing himself right before him yes i see said he i see the mark of the now which i gave you traitor and coward i see the place where i am about to strike you defend your life it is a duel i deign to offer you my knife against your sword he sees said nadia gracious heaven is it possible ogaryev felt that he was lost but mastering all his courage he sprang forward on his impossible adversary the two blades crossed but at a touch from michael's knife wielded in the hand of the siberian hunter the sword flew in splinters and the wretch stopped to the heart fell lifeless on the ground at the same moment the door was thrown open the grand duke accompanied by some of his officers appeared on the threshold the grand duke advanced in the body lying on the ground he recognized the man whom he believed to be the tsar's courier then in a threatening voice who killed that man he asked i replied michael one of the officers put a pistol to his temple ready to fire your name asked the grand duke before giving the order for his brains to be blown out your highness answered michael ask me rather the name of the man who lies at your feet that man i know him he is a servant of my brother he is the tsar's courier that man your highness is not a courier of the tsar he is ivan ogarev ivan ogarev exclaimed the grand duke yes ivan the traitor but who are you then? Michael Strogoff. End of chapter 14